Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We're currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. Take a moment for some announcements here. Um, next Sunday is our first Sunday's potluck for November, hosted by the Soul Matters group who couldn't come up with a theme. <laughs> Bring a favorite dish to pass and join us upstairs in the dining hall directly following next Sunday's service for food and fellowship. There's a sign-up sheet in the atrium for people willing to help with pre-Thanksgiving dinner for the refugees. Please check out the sheet and sign up to bring a dish. All 7th through 12th graders and friends are invited to a Halloween movie night this evening, Sunday, October 30th, from 5 to 7.30. They'll have a pasta dinner, a Halloween version of Can You Feel It?, and view the house with a clock in its walls. Costumes are encouraged and RSVPs are appreciated. That's a note from Jesse. The Environmental Action Group is compiling its annual list of books for holiday gift giving on the themes of climate, ecology, natural history, and environment. 
We are looking for titles suitable for children, young adults, and mature readers. Everyone in the congregation is invited to participate. The deadline is Tuesday, November 15th. So now, in the famous words of Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. It's time. It's time to renew. It's time to renew your financial commitment to our church. Without you, we are weaker. With you, we are stronger. And we ask you to be generous. As you increase your generosity, we become stronger. Our voice in the community becomes louder. We help you to become stronger too. So when your new pledge form comes in the mail, complete it with generosity in your heart. Our theme this year is all in. We want everybody to participate. We want everybody to make a pledge. We are prepared to bribe you <laughs> with catered brunch. We'll set up a matching grant for first-time givers and those who increase their pledges by 15% or more. So the operable word this year is generosity. That having been said, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please join as you are able and sing hymn number 86. remain standing and join me in reciting the church's affirmation. The words are in the order of worship. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other in our doxology.
This morning I want to share with you a story called The Invisible String, and it was written by Patrice Karst and illustrated by Jeff Stevenson. Liza and Jeremy, the twins, were asleep one calm, quiet night, and suddenly it began to rain very hard. Thunders rubbled until it got so loud it woke them up. Mommy, mommy, they cried out as they ran to her. Don't you worry, you two. It's just the storm making that noise. Go back to bed. We want to stay close to you, said Jeremy. We're scared. We know we're always together no matter what, don't you? But how can we be together when you're out here and we're in bed, said Liza. Mom held something right out in front of them and said, this is how. Rubbing their sleepy eyes, the twins came closer to see what mom was holding. When I was about your age, my mommy told me first about the invisible string. I don't see a string, said Jeremy. You don't need to see the invisible string. People who love each other are always connected by a very special string made of love. But if you can't see it, how do you know it's there, asked Liza. Even though you can't see it with your eyes, you can feel it with your heart, and you know you're always connected to everyone you love. When you're at school and you miss me, your love travels all the way along the string until I feel it tug on my heart. And when you tug it right back, we feel it in our hearts, said Jeremy. Does Jasper the cat have an invisible string? Liza asked. She sure does, said Mom. And best friends like Lucy and me, asked Liza. Best friends too. How far can the string reach? Anywhere and everywhere, Mom said. Would it reach me even if I were a submarine captain deep down in the ocean, asked Jeremy. Yes, Mom said, even there. Or a mountain climber, even there. A ballerina in France, even there. A jungle explorer, even there. How about an astronaut out in space? Yes, even there. Then Jeremy quietly asked, can my string reach all the way to Uncle Brian in heaven? Yes, even there. Does the string go away when you're mad at us? Never, said Mom. Love is stronger than anger, and as long as there is love in your heart, the string will always be there. Even when you get older and can't agree about things like what movie to see, what game to play in the back seat, or what time to go to bed. Oh, that's right, you two should be in bed. And with that, they all laughed as Mom chased the twins back to bed. Within a few minutes, they were asleep, and even though the star storm was still making the same loud noises outside, as they slept, they stared, started dreaming of all the invisible strings they have, and all the strings their friends have, and their friends have, and their friends have, until everyone in the world was connected by invisible strings, and from deep inside, they now could clearly see no one was ever alone. And that is our story for today. We are worshiping as all ages today, so I invite you to join me in singing May Peace Surround You to bless those here and those joining us online. The words are printed in your order of worship. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thanks for your support. Remember, Generosity is the word of the year.
I'd like to invite you all to join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. If you would, take a moment to settle into your body. I invite you to put your feet on the ground. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable. Focus your attention on the top of your head. Move down your face to your jaw and relax it a bit. Breathe into your shoulders and out. Then deep and full into your stomach and slowly out. Let us pray. Oh, spirit of healing, when we came into worship, we set our burdens at the door, and there's a pile out there tall enough to cover up the sun. We see how many lives are imprisoned by power, hate, and greed, and there are painful joints and throbbing heads and overwhelming tiredness, enough to send us all to bed. We passed a stack of grudges and a mound of righteous unhappiness big enough to fuel a second sun. And here with all those burdens just beyond our reach, life spirit calls us to a place where service holds the key as we remember the saints and souls whose gifts of love and life have given hope to others. You offer us a time to know that we are called to love each other and love the world you've brought us. Help us, O Holy One of rebirth and renewal. Help us to claim your promises of healing, justice, and mercy. Help us leave our burdens in that pile by the door and listen with new ears for the good news of your presence and your call to serve the world in fresh, new ways. And now, dear congregation, I invite you to call all the joys and sorrows in your lives into your heart and mind. And let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 123, Spirit of Life.
This morning on this All Saints and Souls Day service, we lift up in particular the three members of this church who died in the past year. Elnora Terhune Beekler, Jerry Ellen Gunderson, and James Orville Young. It is said that the tradition of lighting candles for the dead dates to the fourth century, when ancient people would light candles for 40 days in honor of the departed. Jews customarily light a candle on the anniversary of someone's death, which is prayed over and left burning for 24 hours. The Paschal candle is lit every Easter. Advent candles are lit each Sunday in the weeks before Christmas. Candlelight vigils follow national tragedies, and eternal flames burn in almost every country and state in our nation to honor victims of war and violence and to serve as a reminder of the sacredness of human life. Every one of you here, all of us will lose someone close to us. We already have. And so I invite everyone here to come forward now and to light a candle or place a relic on the altar to honor someone in your life. I invite you to come forward now.
Our reading this moment, this morning comes from Khalil Gibran's book, The Prophet, in particular the poem in there entitled On Death, and the character Almitra is speaking. Then Almitra spoke, saying, We would ask now of death, and death said, You would know the secret of death, but how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owl whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. For life and death are one, even as the river and the sea are one. In the depth of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. So trust the dreams, for in them is hidden the gate to eternity. Your fear of death is but the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the king whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling that he shall wear the mark of the living? Yet is he not more mindful of his trembling For what is it to die but to stand naked in the wind and to melt into the sun? And what is it to cease breathing but to be free the breath from its restless tides, that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered? Only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. When you have reached the mountaintop, then you shall begin to climb. And when the earth shall claim your limbs, then you shall truly dance. There ends our reading.
I've loved Halloween and trick-or-treating since I was a boy. I thoroughly enjoyed the Halloween parties of my 20s, complete with very questionable costumes and generous libations. And I most certainly enjoy watching my child partake of the holidays thrills and chills and handing out candy to the kids in my neighborhood. But Halloween is mostly a reminder of death, a memento mori, which is Latin for remember that you have to die. Halloween is the eve before All Saints and All Souls Day, an occasion that invites us to remember that in the midst of life, we are in death. As Rabbi Mark Gottlieb of the Tikva Summer Institute at Yale writes, the communion between the living and the dead is an incredibly foundational principle. It's an incredibly foundational principle by insisting that the dead are a part of that community. And we enlarge both our discourse and our sense of what truly matters. In other words, what the rabbi is saying, the dead live on in thought and deed, and the best of who they were call to the best of us. Reminders of death during life have been all but scrubbed from modern life, by my view. Anytime you drive through a city or a town and you see a cemetery in its center, you know that you are driving through a very old town. You will not find a 21st century city planner who would dare suggest a cemetery anywhere close to downtown today. In my hometown, just south of St. Louis, Missouri, there was once a wonderful graveyard on the edge of a strip mall parking lot. Now for years and years, developers, they coveted this spot. They noted that it was right on the main drag and it would draw top dollar from corporations eager to put a shop or a restaurant there. And believe it or not, the city decided that it wanted to sell. But what they first had to do was they had to track down the descendants of the dead in that small cemetery and ask them if they would get permission from the city to allow the city to move the bodies of their ancestors to a cemetery far out of town. And they all agreed. And so the day the ditch witches arrived to exhume the bodies, I rode my BMX bike uptown along with a handful of other curious onlookers. But there was a small tent that had been erected to hide this work from us nosy neighbors. And within months, the top bid for the former cemetery plot went to a fast food chain that specializes in tiny square-shaped hamburgers that taste even worse than they smell. <laughs> Today in my hometown, the nearest cemetery is a good three miles outside of the town center, nestled behind a very tall brick fence. But if you go to major cities, especially along the East Coast, and you look hard enough, you will see that there are cemeteries tucked right in between skyscrapers and Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's. And many of those cemeteries are nestled near old churches, which is telling. In our death-denying culture, the church endures as one of, if not the last memento mori in society. Churches like ours, to use Gottlieb's words, insist that the dead are part of our living community and that their legacy aids us as we sift through the constant distraction to focus on what really counts. And it's said that the weekly act of coming to church helps us set aside the worship of self so that we can attend to the one, the voice, the spirit of hope that calls us. The church's calendar that we follow moves from birth to death over and over again. The birth of new life at Christmas carries us to life's triumph over death at Easter. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, the poet writes in Ecclesiastes. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to search and a time to give up. The church's calendar tells this age-old story of life and death and hope and possibility. 
And so the church's holidays we observe today, All Saints and All Souls Day, have but subtle difference. So Halloween is the eve of All Saints Day that invites us to honor the memory of the people who dedicated their lives to this church's well-being. And the day after All Saints, the church celebrates All Souls, a day to honor the memory of our beloved dead, our parents and siblings, our children, and our friends. Honoring this church's ancestors is important for a congregation like ours. After all, most of the names listed in the membership book are the names of the dead. The first remnants of this church, Wausau's very first Universalists, they started gathering 165 years ago in Mary Schofield's parlor. And so way back then in Wausau, the world on Sundays would have felt like it stood still. If you can imagine this, American football didn't even exist 165 years ago. And the shops and the factories would have all been closed to observe a citywide Sabbath. And so farmers and loggers and lumber barons and teachers and craftspeople, they would have set down their tools and awoken on a Sunday morning to a familiar hush. But by mid-morning, bells would toll, and out of the tenements and the shanties, and even out of a few houses that stand today, parents and children and widows and drunkards would make their way to people's homes or maybe a simple church building where they'd sing and confess their wrongdoing and listen to someone read or a preacher preach about the eternal promise of hope and the assurance of pardon and grace. Now, since then, the world has changed in far too many ways to count. It's hard to compare ourselves to our spiritual ancestors who first gathered under the name that we claim as our own. The Wausau's Universalists planted themselves in the center of this town on purpose. And eventually, they built a church built of stone that they themselves dragged from the banks of the river to serve as an enduring reminder of the voice of hope that calls us all. A voice that started speaking long before any of us were born, and a voice that will keep speaking long after all of us are gone. The same voice that beckoned our ancestors out of their homes in 1858 is the very same voice that calls to us. And we don't celebrate All Saints and All Souls Days just because the calendar tells us to. We celebrate them because they help us remember that we are because they were. We are because holy and ancient stonemasons built us this church and gifted us this faith. And very often in these days of so-called church decline, when people find out that I'm a church pastor, what they can't help themselves but ask on the airplane is they say, but how many people really actually come to church on Sundays, pastor? Even colleagues in Unitarian Universalist churches, they like to sit around and compare notes on how many butts filled their pews on Sundays. We go around the room or around the Zoom call and we say, oh, about 45 down here in Glenview, 20 or so on Chicago's south side, about 60 over here in Omaha. It depends on the weather up here in Ithaca, my friend says. Maybe 100 down here in Dallas. So a couple weeks ago when us ministers were comparing the size of our Sunday congregations to one another, the question actually started to make my head spin. You see, in my mind, the question, how many people were in church on Sunday, is a question with cosmic proportions. It's cosmic because to me there is a measure of every single Sunday that is all saints and all souls, a time to honor the souls and saints who walked among us, the people whose memory enlarges our discourse and calls on us to rest our egos for an hour so we can get a better handle on what matters. And so when they asked me this question, I thought about the names of the members of this church who died in the past year, the names of the people I read this morning. I thought about Elnora and Jerry and Jim, Three people our church is worse without. 
I thought about Elnora, who was a member here in this church for 70 years. Wrap your head around that. Elnora, who was a second-generation Unitarian who wed her husband at the Unitary Church in Worcester, Massachusetts, just weeks before her very dear husband, Ralph, went off to fight the Nazis in the Second World War. Elnora, who along with her husband eventually settled here in Wausau, where they lived out the remainder of their days and made this congregation their spiritual home. Elnora, who raised four children in this church. Elnora, who buried a grandson in this church. Elnora, whose kids wed in this church. Elnora, who directed the church school for decades and said to me, Brian, it was one of the highlights of my life. Elnora, who talked very loudly through every sermon she ever heard me preach. <laughs> Elnora, who biked and skied the world with members of this church. Elnora, who believed in this church and its people and its promise of eternal hope and love despite all odds. And then I thought about Jerry, who sought solace in these pews for nearly 60 years. Jerry, who raised three girls here. Jerry, who dressed nicer than any of us, even unto her dying day. Jerry, who buried her husband here, who made friends here, who found dancing partners here. Jerry, who taught Wausau how to recycle from an office in this church, who cared for the sick and dying members of this church while leading the caring committee. Jerry, who baked the best chocolate pecan brownies I have ever tasted in my life and Jerry, who out in her garage would shrink wrap her Christmas tree so she didn't have to decorate it the next year. <laughs> Jerry, who taught generations of kids in the church school and believed and professed her faith in this church's message for hope and love despite all odds. Then I thought about Jim, Jim whose own children are members of this church. Jim, whose children, grandchildren rather, sat every Sunday on the floor right in front of the altar to hear a children's story. Those children who grew into adults and professed from this very pulpit their love of what they learned in religious education before they set off for college or jobs. Jim, who cried every Sunday here. Jim, who sang in the choir. Jim, who laid his wife to rest here. Jim, who was remarried here, and Jim, who we as a congregation just weeks ago laid to rest. And so when they asked me, they said, how many people are in the pews on Sundays, Brian? I thought of Elnora and Jerry and Jim, but I also thought of John and Glinda and Barb and Noble and Catherine and George and Ben and all the children whose heads have been washed for baptism in the font that we keep right over there at the front of the sanctuary the font that we had custom made to remind ourselves of our acceptance in and commitment to this community. I thought about the names of the members on the banner in the back that list the people who left this church to fight in wars, some of those people who got lucky and got to come home, and others who never returned. I thought about all the hundreds and thousands of dollars in the endowment and how much of it was given by people most of us have never met. I thought about the man who last fall who introduced himself to me after church one Sunday, who brought his family to this church of all the churches downtown because I needed a place to sit this morning after I found out my son is dead. I thought about the hundreds of couples who've wed here, all the AA meetings that have been held here, the secrets confessed, the post-funeral suppers, the pre-wedding jitters, the tough decisions, the arguments, the forgiveness, the strangers off the street, the people like you and me who cry and laugh and worship here. I thought about 165 years of people whose lives touched ours in ways we know and in ways we never will. I thought about how every Sunday we stroll into this building of ancient stone. And how in so doing, we embody an internal promise of hope and love. And how our presence here and our memory of the saints and souls that have gone before us, whether they sat in these pews for 70 years or 70 minutes, that we are part 
of a sacred community that never stops saying yes. We never stop saying yes to the chance to set aside our worship of ego so we can consider what matters most. And that we have the privilege to do it here, in this church, with one another. That we have that opportunity is because of the sacrifice of thousands of people who came before us. We are because they were. That's what all saints and all souls is all about. And so when I opened my mouth to answer the question, how many people were in the pews on Sunday, Brian? The only answer I could come up with was thousands. There were thousands in the pews in Wausau on Sunday. Thousands, they laughed at me, and I said, thousands of people were in the pews on Sunday. And so this very hour, on this very Sunday, the church invites you to remember that in the midst of life, you are in death. And that in this time between what was and what will be, we are making life. And with our lives, we get a chance to be the stonemasons of a better tomorrow for someone like me, for someone like you who needs a place to hope. We will build a monument that will be left undone. And who knows, maybe one day this church will be swallowed up between skyscrapers and shopping malls. But it will never stop the voice that speaks to us, the same voice that spoke to our ancestors. Because that voice, it lives in you. It lives in us all. And it is that voice that speaks to and through us, that endures because hope and love never die. Amen. I invite you to rise as you're willing to join in singing our closing hymn number six, Just As Long As I Have Breath. you came here this morning with someone, I invite you to reach out and take their hand now. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude.